Thank you, Ashley. And, and, you know, it's, I think, fitting, as Matt said, that today we're looking at what we as Southern Baptists believe about education. And, uh, you know, as, as we have already done this morning, we've celebrated our graduates. We've heard how First Baptist is supporting the REACH scholarship. And, and we also administer another scholarship that gives uh, money to students through their four years of college. And uh, we have a lot of educators in our church. And we've long supported our schools and our school systems. First Baptist Church believes in education. Georgia Baptists believe in education. We have three colleges that we fund through our cooperative program. And Southern Baptists believe in education. We have eight seminaries, eight institutions of higher learning that also have colleges attached to each of them that we support through our cooperative program giving. So let's look at what the Baptist faith and message tells us about what Southern Baptists believe about education. Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence In Jesus Christ, about all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all sound learning is therefore a part of our Christian heritage. The new birth opens all human faculties and creates a thirst for knowledge. Moreover, the cause of education in the kingdom of Christ is coordinate with the causes of missions and general benevolence and should receive along with these the liberal support of the churches. An adequate system of Christian education is necessary to a complete spiritual program for Christ's people. In Christian education, there should be a proper balance between academic freedom and academic responsibility. Freedom in any orderly relationship of human life is always limited and never absolute. The freedom of a teacher in a Christian school, college, or seminary is limited by the preeminence of Jesus Christ, by the authoritative nature of the Scriptures, and by the distinct purpose for which the school exists. Now, when we talk about a Christian education this morning, what do we mean? We mean more than just religious education. We're talking about more than just Sunday school here at the church. Rather, any education in any area of study is Christian if it is brought through a decidedly Christian lens. If, that, if we are looking at whatever it is we're learning, studying, teaching through a Christian lens, then that becomes a Christian education. Secularism is always trying to pit faith and reason. We see it in the news. We see it in articles all the time. They especially like to try to say it's, you know, science versus faith. But as we heard in our statement of faith, Christianity is a reasonable faith. It is a faith of intelligence, a faith of enlightenment. The followers of Christ have historically been among the greatest thinkers and scholars and scientists and philosophers in human history. Christians have historically valued education, literacy, and study in areas like science and history, medicine, and the arts. So we reject the idea that you've got to check your brain at the door of the church. Rather, biblical faith assumes the existence of absolute truth, that that truth is knowable, and that God is the source of all truth. Because if God is the creator of all things, as we've talked about already, if He's the omniscient knower of all things, then we can say that all truth is God's truth. And we see it throughout even in the Trinity. God the Father is called multiple times the God of truth in the Bible. Jesus, God the Son, is truth incarnate. He said in John fourteen six that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't come just to teach us truth. He is the truth. And Paul says in Colossians 2.3, In Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This implies that any worldview or educational system that's not rooted and grounded in biblical truth about Jesus, 
suffers from a fatal flaw. Because how can we really ever know any part of the creation apart from knowledge of the Creator? And that's why any truth apart from Jesus is only partial truth. The truth can only find its completion in the revealed knowledge of Jesus Christ. God the Father is the God of truth. Jesus is truth incarnate. God the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And in John 16, 13, Jesus promised, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Now, Jesus doesn't use that word all loosely. Jesus doesn't say that He will guide us in some truths, you know, like biblical truths or spiritual truths. No, He says all the truth, singular, definitive. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And it's the same Spirit of truth that inspired the Word of God, the Bible. As 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit, which is why the Bible, the Word of God, is the word of truth. Psalm 119.160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. That means that all of God's word is true, it's always been true, and it always will be true. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us that God's word is the measure by which we are to discern truth and be equipped to live in truth. So God has always been concerned about truth and He's always desired for His children to learn and live by the truth. From Genesis through Revelation, God encourages and commands us to seek wisdom, to learn and gain knowledge, to grow in our skills, to live our lives based on what is, what is true, what is real, what is knowable. God always wants us to be grounded in our faith. Listen, Christianity is not some pie in the sky and the sweet by and by kind of faith. It's a grounded faith. It's rooted in what is real. It's rooted in people and places and history. In Deuteronomy 6, which I read last week, I always read this when I do children family dedications, God through Moses commands us as parents to surround our children with truth and to look for every teachable moment to impart God's wisdom to them. Proverbs 3.13 tells us, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. So do you see, do you understand that God directs His children to learn, to seek knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? And is that not the definition of education? To seek knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? A healthy Christian life should be characterized by a hunger and a thirst for truth. We as Christians should be the biggest champions of literacy and education, of of inquiry and scholarship and research as long as those things are based on truth. Not just human philosophy or ideology, but what is true. Unfortunately, like so many things, it feels like everything in our world today has been politicized. And sadly, education has been politicized as well. Research and scholarship have been politicized. And and sadly, a lot of what passes today for scientific research or even education is is tainted by a humanistic philosophy of of secular humanism. 
that worldview, and, and there are certain political and ideological perspectives which have infiltrated so much of what should be a rather unbiased education. And the reason for this is because just as there is a God of all truth, the Bible tells us there's a Father of all lies. Jesus describes Satan as one who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Paul warns us to discern uh, what Satan's lies are and make sure that what we're pursuing is, is really true. It's not falsehoods masquerading as knowledge. It's not just opinions masquerading as fact. We've got to be able to discern these things. Paul writes this in Colossians 2 and This is such a powerful verse for us, so relevant for us today. Paul says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. We have to be careful, he says. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us some guidelines that can help us Make sure that we really are promoting, supporting, and engaging in education that is based in what's real, what's true, what's grounded in Christ. That we're learning and living by and we're teaching, as we heard in our New Testament reading, what is eternally true and good and pure and helpful and admirable. These are the things that we're to think on. And so let's look, if you will, at Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 and 29, there are three passages we're going to look at today. They're not on the screen, so you'll need to turn in your Bibles to these. The first is here in Matthew 7. And Jesus ends His Sermon on the Mount with this parable. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the wind blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. So Jesus tells us that first, if we want to build an education that is Christ-centered, again, not... Not Christian education is in like a Christian college, or, but any education that is centered and based on Christ, we need the right foundation. The right foundation. Jesus describes two builders in this story, and he's relying on an ancient Hebrew theme of the wise and the fool. And you especially read that in Proverbs. And in our Old Testament reading this morning in Proverbs, we heard that if we want a house filled with knowledge and with beautiful rare treasure, it must be built with and established on a foundation of understanding and wisdom. Whereas the fool, Psalm 14.1, says in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt, their deeds are vile, and there's no one who does good. And then the psalm goes on to describe how God is looking for anyone who is wise enough to seek Him. So the wise person builds their life on the truth of God. The fool says there is no God. Which is what Psalm 111.10 says is the hallmark of true wisdom. It's the fear of of the Lord. Following His precepts is the source of understanding. The foundation for right living and learning is all about our worldview. What is a worldview? It's how we view the world. (laughs) A worldview is how you view the world. It's the story you find yourself in. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes it like this. Worldviews are the basic stuff of human existence, the lens through which the world is seen. 
the blueprint for how one should live in it, and above all, the sense of identity and place which enables human beings to be what they are. That's a worldview. James Sire, we read his book, looked at his book, The Universe Next Door, on Wednesday nights this past fall. James Sire defines a worldview as a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or as presuppositions, assumptions that he says can be true, partially true, or completely false. And it's presuppositions that we hold either consciously, subconsciously, consistently, or inconsistently. We hold them about the basic constitution of reality. And they provide the foundation upon which we live and move and have our being. So what is the fundamental orientation of your heart? What are your assumptions about the basic constitution of reality? That is your worldview. And everyone has a worldview. Every school of thought is based on a particular view of the world. Every political movement or ideology is built on assumptions about the nature of reality. Every teacher in textbook has a certain orientation and view of history and the world. We all have worldviews. And before we can discern the worldview of others, we need to know our worldview. And I pray for us as Christians, it's a biblical worldview. Listen, if we're Christians, we have to believe that the Christian view of the world is the one that makes the best sense of reality. It tells the best story. It's the most coherent. It best corresponds to observable reality. And it best explains and counters the competing worldviews out there. So Jesus' parable here tells us the importance of building our lives on the right foundation, the right worldview, not the shifting sands of political opinions or human traditions or fad philosophies because they will all fail us. The Greek word here for foundation is themelios, which means a solid rock bed kind of foundation. And the Greek word for petra, uh, for rock, is petra, which means it's, it's immovable, it's firm. That's the kind of foundation we need. It amazes me how quickly our culture can be sometimes to, to throw out millennia of basic human truth and beliefs and values. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't question or examine our traditions. I, I think, in fact, I'm saying we should. We should examine what we do and why we do it. We should always examine what we believe and why we believe. But when people talk about this, what they never want to say is, what do we use to examine those things against? What's the standard by which we determine whether a belief, a tradition, a behavior is right or wrong, true or false, good or bad? What's the plumb line? What's the level? What's the measure? Because there has to be a measure, right? Part of the problem in the world today is all these people walking around deconstructing everything. But there's no blueprint for what should be constructed. And when we fail to answer this question, we end up falling back on one of three things. We either fall back on pragmatism, what works, what gets the job done, that sort of the ends justifies the means view of the world. Or we fall back on who has the loudest voice in the biggest club. That's sort of the, we make a decision based on the mob based on intimidation and harassment, or we fall back on a worldview, an assumption about the way the world works, an orientation for the way reality is, a narrative about who we are while we're here and where we're going. Well, I reject the idea of pragmatism and the idea of mob rule. <laughs> I hope you do too. 
Which means we've got to have our foundation on a worldview. And I believe and think that history shows the biblical Christian worldview, not, not just the cultural Christian or the historical Christian, but the biblical Christian worldview has been the most stable, most coherent, most truthful worldview. It's done more for humanity, elevated more people out of ignorance and poverty and disease from slavery than any other worldview. And we need to make sure that we are building our lives, our education, and our families on that rock-solid foundation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we are to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's having the right foundation in our lives, in our learning, in our education. But secondly, we need the right effort. Now, if you're like me, when you hear this parable, you picture a guy building a house on the beach. Sounds kind of nice. Right? Just right, right up there on the sand. But then the waves come, and they knock the house down like a sandcastle. If you've ever built a sandcastle at the beach. And then you think of the wise man as a guy who builds a little bit further inland, maybe up on a rocky hill where the waves can never reach it. That's the way I used to picture this. But I've since learned something that's redrawn the way I imagine this story, and it starts with Luke's version of this. Look with me at Luke Chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of the house was great. Now, why are they building houses where rivers might crash into them? Well, in Israel, they have these features called wadis, and a wadi is basically a dry riverbed. And most of the year, it's just a dry riverbed. But once a year, in the rainy season, you could have a storm miles away that would dump so much water in such a short period of time, that dry riverbed in seconds becomes a raging river. And so the foolish man is somebody who built his house in the wadi, right on the sand. And he's a fool because he should have known that in the rainy season, which comes every year, this has become a river. And he builds there anyway. So when the river comes, it knocks down his house. But the wise man, he digs down deep to the bedrock to build his house upon So imagine that wise man, he knows the wadi is going to become a river. So rather than building the sand on the wadi, maybe he goes up off the bank of the wadi. He builds his house, digging down deep to put it on the bedrock foundation. And even if the river reaches up to his house, he knows it will stand firm. So not only is there a difference in their foundation, but in their effort. The effort they put forth into building their lives. So many people today follow the foolish man's approach, which is the lazy approach. And again, back in Proverbs, you often see this comparison between the fool and the sluggard. The lazy person who is idle, they don't want to work, they don't want to prepare for the future. And sadly, that's the way a lot of people are today. They'd rather go with the flow than fight the current. They tend to do whatever the crowd is doing, to go along with the mob, to believe whatever's popular. You know, you know, they, their beliefs are based on the opinion polls that are happening today. But the wise man often stands alone, outside the mainstream, 
refusing to sit in the seat of scoffers or walk in the way of the wicked. Why? Because Psalm 1 tells us that his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. We need to be willing to do the hard work of studying, of learning, of discerning what is true. Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15 tells Timothy to be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Diligence. Work. Handling truth correctly. These things take intentionality and effort, don't they? We shouldn't just blindly accept whatever someone tells us. We don't just consume the news media without any thought or question or discernment. Even God doesn't ask us to take blind leaps of faith. We need to stead follow the example of the Berean believers. In Acts 17.11, Luke says the people here in Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because the people in Berea received the word with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This requires effort. Things like studying the Word of God regularly, having daily quiet time in the Word and in prayer, being a part of a weekly small group Bible study, sitting under biblical preaching with fellow believers. But even beyond that, beyond intentional discipleship, it means that we should examine the world around us. We should be inquisitive. Read and learn on a variety of topics, always holding them up to the standard of God's true Word and the idea that all truth is God's truth. And when we do that, when we pursue knowledge and wisdom from God, we discover that science is merely studying and learning about God's creation. That history isn't just the story of humanity, it's the story of God's work and involvement in human history. We see that art is a reflection of God's creativity and and, and a celebration of the imagination that He gave us. Mathematics has often been called the language of God. We need the right foundation, a biblical Christian worldview. We need the right effort to dig down deep, to learn, to study, to question, to discern what is true. And third, we need the right materials. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes about how God will also judge the quality and material upon which we, with which we build our lives. Look at verse 10 through 15. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. And another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. So it would be a shame to have such a strong foundation yet build on it with shoddy materials, wouldn't it? That'd be foolish. Paul tells us we can't stop with just choosing the right foundation. Once we've done that, once we've committed ourselves to a biblical worldview, we we seek to build our life on the notion that all truth is God's truth and must always line up with His true Word, what's next? What do we do after that? 
If we're going to extend the effort that we expend the effort we need to dig deep, to build on God's truth, to examine every claim and take every thought captive to Christ, we should be just as particular about the resources, the materials we use with which to build our lives. Now, our church seeks to give and use only the best in Bible study resources and materials. And, and, and the pastors and others here can recommend to you reliable quality commentaries and, and Bible dictionaries and other resources to help you pursue God's truth. Being a part of a small group Bible study, taking notes on sound biblical sermons are also great resources to help you learn and grow. And I'm going to give you just a warning. Be wary of online resources. <laughs> Unless you know the source or who they're quoting, right? And be wary of TV preachers and Christian podcasts, okay? Just because they're on the TV, YouTube, or have a website doesn't mean they're biblical. Doesn't mean they're honest or they're truthful, right? We know that. As 1 John 4, 1 tells us that we should not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And Paul warns us in Ephesians 5, 6 not to be deceived by empty words. Jesus, echoing the Old Testament prophets, warns us against uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And this applies not just to biblical knowledge, but, but to all knowledge. Listen, don't believe everything you hear on Fox News or CNN. Remember that the History Channel, Nat Geo, and Discovery all have an agenda. They all have certain assumptions. They all have a worldview. Good or bad, right or wrong, they do. And we need to be aware of that and, 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 and have that filter. Separate the wheat from the shaft. What's good from what we should discard. And so, of course, we know that teachers and textbooks and schools and school systems also have worldviews. We need to vet our sources of information and as parents, we must especially be careful who we entrust our children's hearts and minds to. And that's not just in the classroom. That's what's on their iPad and their cell phone as well. It's what we put on the TV in front of them. We need to stay involved and invested in the whole of our children's education and make sure we keep God's Word in front of them. Make sure we surround them with God's truth and, and that we're trying to teach them truth when we rise up, when we lay down, when we go out, when we come in. As Deuteronomy 6 tells us, we need the right foundation, a biblical Christian worldview. We need the right effort to study, to learn, to ask questions, to seek knowledge, and we need to do that with the right materials. And if we do those three things, I believe we'll come to the right outcome. That's the last thing we need that we want. We want the right outcome. Now, to the casual observer, there's no difference between the two houses in this story, is there? The difference is underneath. It's unseen until it's revealed by the storm. And the storms and the floods of life will come, won't they? John Stott writes, The real question is not whether they hear Christ's teaching, nor even whether they respect or believe it, but whether they do what they hear. That's what Jesus says. It's not just the person who, who hears and believes, but acts on his teachings. And Stott says, Only a storm will reveal that truth. And our lives will be struck by many storms, illness, the, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, a, a strained or broken marriage, financial struggles. These times of testing and trial, they show the strength of our foundation, the quality of our effort, the kinds of materials we've built our lives with. 
And we may come out battered and bruised, may have a, a few missing shingles or loose storm doors, but we'll stand firm at the end. But the storms in Jesus' story aren't just any storms. They're not just any tests. They're the ultimate test. The day of judgment is what Jesus and Paul are both ultimately referring to. And we all will face that day when our foundation, our efforts, and our materials will be revealed. And when you stand before God in heaven, what will He find that you've built your life on? A relationship with Jesus Christ? Through faith? Or that you thought maybe you could get by by your own good works and religiousness and by just, you know, being a good person? Your eternal outcome depends on what you've done with Jesus. Are you building the hope for your life upon Him or upon yourself? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior and received His free gift of salvation? If you've not, then you are building your foundation on sinking sand. Because we never know when those raging floodwaters will come. We can't delay. Don't put it off. Don't say, oh, someday. I'll get to that later. Jesus is inviting you today to follow Him, to have Him as that foundation of rock-solid truth for your life. I invite you to come here in just a moment to give your life to Christ, to build your life, your knowledge, your, your values, your future, your eternity upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And for us as Christians who've done that, I want you to consider, are you seeking God's knowledge, wisdom, and truth? Or are you conforming to the patterns, philosophies, theories, and ideologies of a sinful, fallen world? What are you building your life on? Are are you continuing to build your life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ? We should be thinking about that and asking ourselves that. What about our efforts? What kind of effort are you putting into your spiritual growth, into your continuing learning and growing and, and being educated Are you guilty of just going with the flow? You don't want to rock the boat? You don't want to stand out? Are you just absorbing everything that comes your way unquestioningly? Are you disengaged from your children's education? Or are you doing the hard work of digging down deep to help them look for the solid rock truth? Are you involved in their school? Are you in touch with their teacher, encouraging them and getting to know them and praying for them? How involved are you in your kids' education? Now listen, it's easy to sit in cruise control. I get it. It's easy to sort of say, well, that's the school's job and, and, and that, or that's the church's job, you know, the religious education, the other education. No, that's your job. That's my job. And we're to partner with our schools and partner with our churches to help our children be well-rounded, fully functional followers of Jesus Christ. How's your foundation? How's your effort? How's your building materials? Maybe this morning God is leading you to unite with this congregation, a church that believes and loves and values the Word of God, that seeks to teach and preach the Word of God, whether it's popular or not. A church that values education, that wants to invest in the next generation. Is this the kind of church that God wants to use in your life to help build on that solid foundation? Maybe this morning you're convicted to pray about and reconsider some of your perspectives. To evaluate your own worldview. And are you 
searching for and building your life on the truth or not. Maybe this morning you need to get serious about studying God's Word or commit to being a part of a Bible study Sunday school class or, or again, just maybe God's convicting you to get more involved and invested in what your kids are watching and learning and doing with their lives. Whatever God has spoken to your heart this morning, as Jesus' parable says, don't just hear it, don't just respect it, do it. Will you be obedient to the spirit of truth this morning? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word is true. It has stood the test of millennia and it stands the test in our lives every day. Lord, when we seek to live by the truth of your word, we learn it is a solid rock foundation. And that no matter what comes to us in life, we can stand firm upon that truth. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they're not building their life on your solid rock. They're on the shifting sands of religion and, and their own good morals and, and, or, or the, the philosophies of this world. God, I pray you would convict them and bring them to a place this morning where they will trust in what you have done for them and build their lives on you as their Lord and Savior. God, forgive us for our lack of effort sometimes. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life and we let the important things go by the wayside. And we just sort of relegate things to other people, the church, the school system, the, the whatever, and, and we don't invest in our own spiritual growth or in the growth and learning and the development of our children uh, or of the children in our community. God, there are people here that you're calling to be a Sunday school teacher, to work with our preschoolers or nurseries, to help with children's church or with teenagers. God, may we be obedient to your calling on our lives, not based on our ability, but based on yours and your willingness to strengthen us and to help us. Father, if you're leading someone today to unite with this church, we pray that they would be obedient and come forward either for baptism or to move their membership, God. And Lord, we thank you for all those that are here working with our young people and all of our adult Sunday school teachers who are seeking to impart to us your truth. God, may they correctly handle your word of truth. We pray for all of our educators, Lord, that are in the different schools and school systems in the area, Lord, that you would continue to bless and guide them, help them as followers of Jesus Christ to do the best they can, Lord. I know that they're in a tough place in some schools, God, but to be able to help shape hearts and minds based on the solid rock of your truth. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.